Welcome to the Wickedly Smart Women podcast, featuring stellar conversations with emerging and established Wickedly Smart Women. Thanks for joining us today as we celebrate women who are committed, care deeply, and have the courage to take action and create conscious change all around the world. Now here's your Wickedly Smart host, Angel B. Hartwell. Welcome to another episode of the Wickedly Smart Women podcast, where we celebrate Wickedly Smart Women and provide our listeners with a wealth of wisdom, along with immediately actionable steps to be smarter, spunkier, and more successful in their impact and their leadership. This is your host, Angel B. Hartwell, and today we welcome a very special guest who was actually recommended to us by one of our other guest speakers. Her name is J.B. Owen. JB is a fearless female leader and highly successful entrepreneur, having built businesses that span the globe. Her true focus is on helping others. She is driven to empower individuals in their own personal journeys to success. She's a world-class speaker, international best-selling author, and powerful business owner. Her no-nonsense style has catapulted her in the areas of building worldwide brands, manufacturing award-winning products, publishing international bestsellers, and creating multiple platforms in the areas of health, wellness, personal growth, and eco-conscious improvements. In conjunction with her keen sense of business, JB also brings fun, fabulous, and feminine touches into everything she does. She combines ferocity with femininity in a new and innovative business style. Through her acclaimed brand, Ignite, JB helps people tell their unique stories and shows them how they can ignite their lives. Her international best-selling compilation books have reached bestseller status in over 12 countries and feature esteemed authors spanning the globe. Ignite is the leader in empowerment publishing, and JB is committed to igniting a billion lives. We are just honored and delighted to have you here today. JB, let's get the fire started. Mm, Thank you so much for having me. It's a joy to be here, and I just can't wait to share with those wickedly smart women of yours. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I want to begin our time together, JB, by finding out were you the little girl that had the lemonade stand? I mean, where did all of this amazing business savvy come from? Well, you know it. I had my very first business when I was seven and it was a Kool-Aid stand. Actually, I thought who wants lemonade? That's awful and yucky. And, and we want Kool-Aid because it's sweet and colorful. And so, yeah. And I actually went one step further. I took my Kool-Aid stand on the road with me in my wagon down to the park so I could like get more customers. <laughs> Go where the clients are. Exactly. I was like the first food truck in my town. (laughs) Oh my God. I love it. Well, you and I share uh, a little bit of uh, childhood entrepreneurship there as well. I sold 763 boxes of Girl Scout cookies when I was nine before they let you park your little self in front of the grocery store or be online. So we share that. Well, I want to talk to you today, JB, about... I'd love to hear this journey that you've been on. I mean, you literally, you started at seven knowing that you needed to be in the right location to actually be prosperous (laughs) with your business. Give us a little bit more of your background and maybe some of the highlights of your entrepreneurial journey. 
Well, I actually started my official first business when I was nine. I actually made puka shell necklaces out of beads that I used to get at the, you know, the leather shop and the bead shop. And I would stand outside the tavern that my dad would visit on Friday night, sit on the stoop. And when guys would walk by, I'd say, hey, mister, you want to buy a necklace for your girl? And of course, the woman would sort of blush and then he would kind of be like, "Okay," And I'd be like, try it on, try it on. And she would try it on. And the minute was around her neck. I had my little mirror. And the next thing you know, she was smiling and batting her eye lashes. And he was giving me the beautiful $2 bill that was so popular in Canada. An entrepreneur was born. I mean, I literally saw her eyes light up. I saw his eyes light up. I saw something I made, you know, going to somebody who enjoyed it. And then my pockets were full. And I used to do that every Friday night when my dad was visiting with his friends and he'd come out at the end of the evening and I just, it was all sold out. And so it just started the idea of how you can help people, how you can serve people, how you can make people happy. And at the same time, obviously benefit or put my money away to get the next great set of beads and the next great set of leather. And it just, it spawned into this belief and this love for entrepreneurship. Mm, beautiful. Well, you know, what I am hearing here too, JB, is that you're a highly creative person as well, right? And that's another place where you and I intersect. I actually started making jewelry after 20 years in the real estate business. And it was the jewelry that actually activated my spiritual awakening because I discovered that the stones were actually working with me. So I'd love to hear a little bit about how the inner game for you has evolved over the years and a little bit more about, you know, some of the different realms that you have actually set yourself up in and Mm -hmm. successfully been able to do business in. Yeah, I grew up in a small town, really uncommunicative town in a lot of ways. It was kind of a bit of a black sheep. I was really into fashion and, as you said, like jewelry making and design. So right out of high school, 11 days after I graduated, I moved to the big city, started studying fashion design and textile science, really got into the designing career, wanted to be a fashion designer. And I followed that career for many years, but I would say most importantly, my business really took off after I had my first child. My son was five months old and I thought, wow, boys really get ripped off when it comes to clothing. And so I started making clothes for him. And at the same time, again, the entrepreneurial spirit, like, okay, we need functional clothes for kids. We need wick away. We need sun protection. Like, why isn't anybody making stain resistant clothes for kids? And so I immediately went to China, started building my business and I grew that business extremely large in a very short period of time. Fascinatingly enough, though, it was probably at my highest, most wealthiest, most successful time. I was my most unhappiest because I had really entrepreneured myself really into a corner. I started, you know, doing things for the sake of profit instead of the sake of joy. And I had a really hard lesson in that walking away from that business, multi-million dollar business, just walked away from it, literally took my kids and left, left my marriage, left my business, left everything and started my spiritual journey as to, you know, we can't just make things for profit. It's not just about the transaction. You know, why are you trying to dominate? You can't, there's enough pie for everybody, like really had to walk down the aisle of learning what it meant to be a true and conscious business leader. Mm, Well, there's a lot to unpack right there. Uh, The first thing that I heard was your son was five months old and the next thing you know, you're going to China. So I want to start there and ask you, like, where did you get the courage to just say, well, I'm going to China, I'm going to manufacture this? Like, where did that come from? 
Yeah, well, I, I, you know, as an entrepreneur, we start business multiple times. So I think I probably had 20 or 30 businesses prior to that. I started doing jewelry and clothing and all kinds of different things. I had a nail business. I mean, so I really wanted to start that business off right. And because I had spent so many years in fashion design, I knew that if I was going to make a profit, I needed to go to Asia. And so I really, I did my research. I hired some workers who were supporting me that spoke Chinese. One of them came with me. I just got off the plane and we were like, hit the ground running. I call it the amazing race. We saw as many things as we could. And I just knew that I wanted to do it and I wasn't going to let anything stop me. And I will tell you back in 2006, when a white blonde, you know, almost five foot eight girl shows up in Asia, like it was a very strange (laughs) experience. Many of the factory owners weren't expecting anyone. In fact, J.B. Owen, they all thought it was Mr. J.B. Owen. And so many times I showed up and they were very surprised to have a female business owner. But I just knew that I wanted to do my business right, right out of the gate. And I think that happens for a lot of business owners, and I've done it numerous times since, when you start your business, start it outright, get everything you need to be successful. Because when it takes off, it takes off. But if you're always behind the eight ball, if you're always just trying to catch up and get yourself moving forward, your website isn't good enough, your services aren't good enough, your, your fulfillment center isn't ready, like you need to be ready before you kick it off. And that's one of the things I learned. So I know I knew I needed to go to China right out of the gate. Mm, well, you know, again, you're like a trailblazer in terms of being willing to take that kind of a risk, right? And also showing up as a female in a place where they were expecting a male. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk also about this idea of you got yourself into a corner entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Could you just give our listeners a little bit of you know, a little bit of a framework around what actually allowed you to ultimately notice and then make the decision to just cut that off completely. Mm-hmm. Cause that's big. Yeah. And it, it wasn't, it, I have to say it evolved over time and sometimes it's like it creeps in and you don't really realize it until it's too late, but I was doing my business very successful. I had three or four women working with me. I had a couple of other men working with me. I was working in Asia. Everything was going great. And then I had my husband come and work with me at the time. And so that sort of changed a lot of the dynamics for sure. And in his wisdom and willingness, he started hiring people at the executive level that were also men. And so what happened was my entire business shifted from the feminine business model to the masculine business model. And I feel in a lot of ways, I sort of got swept out the baby with the bathwater because what I want to say is at the time when I started the business, there was such an intention to help mothers, to provide clothes for kids, to create a great service, to have them affordable. And then as time grew and we became more established and more recognized and won more awards and got more recognition, Suddenly the machine, I call it, took over. So profit margins and cutting corners and doing things to like undermine other companies that were selling similar things. And it was very much against my intrinsic desire to have a business. And so I feel in a lot of ways and not blaming any of the gentlemen that worked in our company, but I lost my own vision. I lost my voice. I lost my willingness to speak up and say, no, I want it to be done this way. And so walking away for me was really not one thing had to change, everything had to change. And I really needed to restart my business model for what I call the triple win. I have to win, 
customers have to win. My customers, customers have to win. My suppliers have to win. Like everybody has to win in a business for it to be truly successful. And now businesses later and years later, Ignite Publishing, every single thing we do, our customers win, our readers win, our writers win, everybody wins. We're doing things to build a school in Cambodia. Now we've got another 5X win, a 6X win. And so that's really important to me. Mm, Beautiful. Well, we are about at the break. So I think what I want to do is I want to, I just want to underscore to our listeners that what I heard there was sometimes it creeps up on you. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it creeps up on you. And then all of a sudden you discover either you, you know, some people might be solopreneurs, right? In your case, the business itself started to grow and become more heavily masculinized and more mechanical and more machined than Mm -hmm. it had been originally, less organic. But sometimes for those listeners who might be solopreneurs or very small businesses, sometimes that creep comes internally. So when we come back from the break, I'd love to talk a little bit more about your spiritual journey and some of the things that you do to be able to have awareness earlier than you might have had in the past. But right now we are going to take a break. Weekly Smart Women, we could use your help. If you are enjoying the show and you want us to stay on the air, please consider making a donation at www.wickedlysmartwomen.com. We'd also like to ask you to share with your lovely lady friends who you think might benefit from our content. Help a gal out and let your sisters, mothers, daughters, friends, and colleagues know about the show so we can serve them too. I do want to say a big thank you to all of our listeners who are downloading. We had four-figure download day the other day, which was pretty exciting, and who are giving us great five-star ratings and reviews. We are now well over 100 five-star ratings, and we have now added another country. We are now downloading in 97 countries and welcoming thousands of downloads from all over the world. So I want to shout out this week to our listeners in Canada. We might as well shout out to our listeners in China, since we mentioned China, and we will shout out to our listeners in, where do they make a lot of clothes? Where do they make Nicaragua. Nicaragua. They are Mm -hmm. on our list as well. All right. Beautiful. So we will be right back with J.B. Owen. The Wickedly Smart Women podcast is brought to you by the Wealthy Life Mentor. Women, are you on the edge knowing that life is calling you to make a change? Are you ready to be part of the evolution of what it means to be a wickedly smart woman creating your wealthy life by design, a life that is an extraordinary work of art? Angel B. Hartwell, the Wealthy Life Mentor, is hired by Women in Transition, Women just like you who want to break through to their brilliance, become clear on the value of their wisdom, and embody a beauty-filled, balanced life of shameless self-expression. Discover your Wealthy Life readiness by taking the quiz at quiz.wealthylifementor.com. And we are back with J.B. Owen. J.B. can be found at igniteyou.life, igniteyou.life. And when you go there, J.B., what are they going to find when they get to igniteyou.life? They're going to find out a little bit about what you've got going on, I'm sure. 
Well, I'm so blessed to be working with some of the most amazing people on the planet, sharing their transformational stories. I'm luckily and lovingly involved in publishing now and really helping people tell their story, that story that sort of moved them and transformed them, awaken them and really help them step into a greater version of themselves. And IgniteU.life is where you will see the 19 different compilation books that we have published, our solo books, and all of the projects that we're doing to ignite humanity, ignite possibilities, and create legacy in others. Mm, Beautiful. And as we mentioned when we introduced you, you're committed to igniting a billion lives. So that's a heck of a commitment. So before we went to the break, we were talking about how you noticed when it was time to end in the business that you had where your husband came in and then you ended up having to go, everything had to go, that you stopped being in your feminine leadership. So I'd love to have you, if you would, speak a little bit to how you're bringing that feminine leadership into Ignite and how you see that feminine style of leadership serving the clients and their clients that are being served through Ignite Publishing. Yeah, thank you for asking me that. I mean, it really was, and as what you said before the break, a personal journey, because for the longest time I was, I was working in my masculine as when I started uh, in business in the eighties and the nineties, we didn't have any female role models. And so I was emulating men. I was going after what the men were doing. I call it the currency of success. I didn't have my own currency of success and women have a unique currency of success. We're, we're about collaboration. We look for a community. We want to do things that are helping humanity. And so it was a very different model. And so I thought I had to act a certain way. And it wasn't until later in life that I realized being feminine in business, being powerful. And as you said in my bio, fierce and fabulous and phenomenal and fun. I feel like all of that brings a unique paradigm to business and one that many people, women included and gentlemen, they want to work in that environment, the old staunch business you know, paradigm of like this hierarchy is just, it's, it's not as supportive as business could be. And so stepping into that fabulous feminine femininity in business, I think gives us our own power to do exactly what we want to do. And you spoke about it earlier. What made me make the shift? What I realized was that I wanted to do business in a way that made me feel fulfilled and made me realize that I wanted to get up every day and throw the coverage back and get to work helping other people. And that inspired me. That made me excited. It wasn't about the bottom line in the bank account. It was the bottom line in the currency of relating to other people and helping them move the needle in their life. And it has been so rewarding and Ignite Publishing and everything I do since then, it always has to have that as the core value. Mm, Beautiful. Well, There's a lot, again, to unpack here. And one of the things that I I really want to point out, there are a cohort of us of a certain number of trips around the sun, shall we say, who did come up in the 80s and 90s. And I remember having my, you know, power suit, right? The bright red power suit and, and, you know, being what somebody once said that I was like acting like a boy with breasts, right? And we literally needed to be or we became, we were cultural, mm-hmm. culturally um, socialized and acculturated to being masculinized. We were highly, highly masculinized in order to just even have a place at the table, right? In order to be taken seriously. But in my lifetime, and obviously in yours as well, that has evolved. And now we are seeing a lot more of the feminine collaborative 
leadership as a, a bottom line for the currency of success. One of the things I found for myself, though, is when people say, you know, I'm not going to worry about the bottom line, I'm going to pay attention to, you know, the softer things, that there are many people out there that, like, forget the bottom line. Correct, correct. So how do we marry the spiritual and the practical, the masculine and the feminine, the requirement for financial inflow to actually allow this to be sustainable, while at the same time honoring that at the end of the day, we want to have a heart connection and a heart impact with people. Yeah, I like to believe, you know, women, we're manifestors, we're generators. I call us like we have the ability to create genesis. And so as that such strong power to manifest things, we need to manifest wealth. We need to manifest money. We need to have money to carry on because we live in a culture that money allows us to have the tools that we need to create the businesses that we want to do. So I need to make money to buy this computer, to have the systems, to have the, the supplies. That has to be the way this particular plane of existence works for humanity right now. So if I want to play in that arena and I want to make an impact and I want to inspire others and I want to provide the things that are going to give people the ability to catapult, I need to make the money to do that. And so that cross-section, that diversity, that dichotomy of how do I live in the spiritual realm and at the same time monetize and make money simply is there's enough for all of us. There's so much out there. And the source of all providing is providing infinitely for all times for everyone. And so there is always something there for everyone. And when you really tap into that flow, that divine substance that is providing for all of us, and you know that it's always constant and forever, then it's easy to say, I'm happy to make this money. I'm, I'm excited to make this money because I can do this with this money. And there's enough for everybody else, every other woman in the world to make just as much money, if not more blessings to her that she can can then go out and do her gift. Mm, well, I love the idea of blessings to her because I think, you know, holdover from the old competitive yes. culture is, oh, she has it. I'm either, you know, envious of it and I want it, or, you know, there's, you know, judgment that gets mm -hmm. in involved in that. So I love this idea of blessing the success of, of other women and other people. So thank you for that. In the last few minutes that we have, JB, can we speak about your spirituality? I'd love mm -hmm. to hear about, you know, did you have an awakening? Did you, you know, were you naturally gifted as a child? And was that fostered in you? Obviously, you were naturally gifted as an entrepreneur as a child. But was the spiritual side of you, was this, this deep philosophical feminine side of you was that also naturally there as well or did it come well, from an awakening you know interestingly enough I used to go to Sunday school with my best friend down the street my parents wouldn't take me but I would go with her and I remember learning in Sunday school that God wants you to have everything that God provides you with everything just knock and it shall be answered you shall receive I just I believe that that God always wanted me to have everything when my mom divorced when I was 15 my dad she went to study and became a reverend and so I was doing Tony Robbins and all of the stuff and Eckhart and Deepak 
when I was 17 and 18 and 19. So I was really blessed to grow up with that. I did the pursuit of excellence for my 18th birthday. I mean, all kinds of fun things, but my real true awakening came in my forties when I closed my business down. And I did that because I'd actually become quite ill physically. I could barely walk. I was blacking out. I was having panic attacks. My whole body was literally shutting down. And I did have to go on a two-year spiritual journey to decide like, how am I going to heal myself? My kids were three and five at the time. I really wanted obviously to be a mother to them for as long as possible. And when I was in China, I went to see a doctor and this is a fascinating story. He told my translator that I had a virus in my brain. Now I took that literally that I had a virus in my brain. And so I immediately after that trip, I came home, I left my husband, I closed my business within 60 days, I was going to heal myself and no longer have a virus in my brain. Looking back now, what I realized is it was a lack of translation. What he was saying was my mind and my mindset and the toxicity in my thinking was what was making me sick. And now I smile at it because God gave me the message that I had a virus in my brain, which made me take action to reclaiming my life and finding the beauty that is within my spirit. And I've learned now that a virus in my brain through the translator actually meant that my thinking, stinking thinking, and that limiting beliefs and all the things that were I had brought with me for childhood was what really what was holding me back and making me ill. And so that was the journey that I went on. Mm. Well, in the last few minutes that we have, what I'd love to hear from you, JB, is if you have maybe two or three consistent practices that you engage in that allow you to stay true to your values, that allow you to stay aligned to your source, especially in this ever-changing world that's constantly distracting us and constantly bombarding us with opportunities to lose our connection to ourselves, lose our connection to our source, lose our focus on what it is that we want to achieve and accomplish. If there are any things that you do personally to help you stay in integrity, I'd Mm -hmm. love to hear them. Well, I have a couple. The first one is for me, there's no such thing as no. No is somebody else's no. No is somebody else's limitation. No means somebody else doesn't think it's possible. For me, no means new option, next option, next opportunity. So whenever somebody says no to me, I say, thank you. Thank you for saying no to me because it means that there's a new opportunity out there for me that's going to be better, that's going to be lead to something else. So I really, I never let no be a no. No for me is like, okay, what's next? What's the next opportunity? The second thing I would say is that, you know, when you don't believe in no, and you don't think that no exists, anything becomes possible. I recently just cycled to Alaska with my husband on our tandem bike, 6,500 kilometers. And the year before we did 5,000 kilometers. And this summer we're going to do 10,000 kilometers and we're constantly raising money for charity. But somebody asked me, well, what if you fail? And I thought, well, there is no failure. Like me just getting on the bike and going 10 kilometers is a success. Me just saying, I'm going to do it. And then doing it is a success. If I go 10 kilometers, hundred kilometers, 200 kilometers, and something changes, it's always a success. And so for me, there was no failure. Maybe I wouldn't get to the finish line, but the truth is, and I'll tell you the very first time I cycled 5,000 kilometers at 4,927 kilometers, we stopped and I stopped the bike. And I said to my husband, I could really quit here because 
I'm fulfilled. It's not about the number. It's about the experience. And so I ask people and I share with your guests, go for the experience, go for the feelings, go for the understanding, go for what's inside, not the finish line. Cause it's not the numbers on the bank account, numbers on the scale, numbers at a finish line. It's about how you feel inside. So when you touch and tap into your femininity, your feelings, your emotions, that's what fuels us. That's what makes us powerful because we connect to our feelings and that's what makes us go after the things that we really know are possible for us. Mm, Beautiful. I love that. Well, JB, it has been a pleasure. I could spend hours talking to you, but we are at the end. And listeners, we do love feedback. Please let us know what you thought of today's show by calling into our listener line. We'll have that number for you in the show notes, or you can send in questions or guest suggestions to listeners at wickedlysmartwomen.com. We might even give you a shout out on the show. I want to say thank you to Jennifer from the Trinell Group. We got a donation in from them the other day. So thanks so much. And I want to thank you listeners for tuning in. Keep your ears open and remember, you are a wonderful woman. Thanks for tuning in, downloading and listening. Be sure to rate and review Wickedly Smart Women on Apple Podcasts and share with other women who can benefit from today's episode. Wickedly Smart Women is the premier podcast series for informing, activating, and inspiring the leader who carries profound wisdom and knows that now is the time to welcome wealth. We welcome your feedback and guest suggestions and invite you to subscribe to our mailing list to be notified of each new episode at wickedlysmartwomen.com.